Welcome to The Doctrinal Component with Tom Nettles, brought to you by Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries is a reformed teaching organization committed to the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. For more teaching material by Dr. Nettles, please visit founders.org. Hello, this is Tom Nettles, and this is the third presentation of The Doctrinal Component. In our first two, we have introduced the idea of what we're going to do. We've talked about Scripture as the foundation of all of these discussions of doctrinal ideas. We looked at the Scripture as being revealed truth. We see that it is perpetuated to our generation through its inspiration. We've talked about its infallibility and its consequent inerrancy. And then as a result of this perfect consistency within it, we understand that doctrines will be developed, uh, those things that are needful for us to know, those things that will let us know what God has done for us will be developed to their maturity as much as God wants us to know in this life. And they will prepare us for a life of praise in eternity. One of the sources of seeking out phrases upon which we can think about how doctrine manifests itself in a variety of ways and how we can sort of seek to unpack the doctrinal implications of these, uh, of these ideas is in Scripture itself. But also we're going to look at confessions of faith. We're going to find phrases embedded within historical confessions of faith that are rich with meaning and maintain a perpetuity in influence in the history of theological development. Uh, confessions, of course, are not inerrant. They're not infallible, but to the degree that they reflect the truth of Scripture and that they, they capture and epitomize certain doctrinal ideas, they can be very valuable for us in helping us interpret. They can, they can serve as hermeneutical principles by which we see other aspects, uh, rich aspects of Scripture. For example... In the, the Creed of Nicaea, 325, uh, we have this phrase, uh, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was made flesh and was made man. Now, this creed developed by, uh, largely by Athanasius of Alexandria was seeking to affirm the, the full humanity of Jesus Christ, the view of Arius had not only destroyed the deity of Christ, but it had destroyed his true humanity and so made him perfectly unfit to be a savior. And Athanasius was affirming not only the deity of Christ, but the necessity of his real humanity if he is to be the savior of fallen human beings. And so he has this praise, for us men and for our salvation came down and was made flesh and was made man. And so if we, we look at that and we seek to, to trace it, use it as a hermeneutical principle, uh, looking at Scripture, then we're going to find many things within the Scripture that, are, that emphasize the reality of Jesus' humanity and how his humanity uh, was necessary in order for us to be forgiven, in order for us to be justified, in order for us to overcome death, in order for us to receive glorified bodies. Uh, so that, that little phrase, for us men and for our salvation, came down, it was made flesh, was made man, uh, is rich with implications for the interpretation of Scripture. Or in the confession, the second London confession of the Baptists, under the chapter on providence, 
uh, we find that God leaves his own children to themselves. And then he says, they say, to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled. So this uh, little phrase tucked away there in the the doctrine of providence uh, can become for us a point of meditation uh, to realize that quite often surprising providences come upon us in order that we might check our own response to these things, that we might see what they reveal uh, about ourselves. Uh, but this, this theologically rich phrase can help us deal not only with uh, certain passages of Scripture in which we find the providence of God operating in very mysterious ways, such as with Joseph being sold into slavery, such as with all the troubles that came upon Job, and then finally, of course, the epitome of, of providence leading to something that has within it both tremendous devastation but final redemption uh, is the providence by which the Lord Jesus Christ himself was crucified. But for us, uh, this is, it wasn't for Christ to do this, but for us it is to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness. And so that little, that little phrase helps us understand much about Scripture and much about ourselves as we reflect upon God's providence. Another uh, source from which we will derive certain aspects of this doctrinal component will be notable passages in sermons that will call for doctrinal analysis. Uh, Alexander McLaren has a sermon from the book of Jonah entitled Threefold Repentance. He has themes that draw from and also contribute to the rest of the biblical narrative about the nature of repentance. Uh, sometimes a notable section from a sermon will draw only a few short comments from me. I may read that section because the power of the passage rests in its own atmosphere of authority. Another source from which we will draw our look at the doctrinal component will be pungent and pregnant phrases and systematic theologies that will be worthy of unpacking. For example, John Brown's systematic theology uh, in his section under the decrees and purposes of God has this sentence, to suppose that his purpose and providence are not perfectly correspondent is to charge him with ignorance in forming his plan or with folly, weakness, and changeableness in the execution of it. Well, that's a very powerful sentence. <clears throat> it is filled with wonderful things to reflect upon. Uh, but we see both purpose and providence as perfectly correspondent, he says. That means that that which God has decreed in eternity, which was without error and will certainly come to pass because he has decreed it, means that all of his providence in bringing these things to pass are perfectly consistent with his decree. There is nothing lacking. There is nothing erroneous. And it is within this framework also that we will find the free agency of man as a part of the divine decree and therefore divine providence. God cannot be inconsistent in what he has decreed, that is his purpose, 
and how he works it out in his created order, that is, his providence. Because to say that there is a mistake in his providence that is not consistent with his purpose would be to accuse God himself, the omniscient one, the omnipotent one, the one who has perfect knowledge, the one who is incomprehensible in himself, would be to accuse him with ignorance in his decree or with folly, that is, decreeing things that would not be good for him to carry out, or with weakness, that is, he did not have strength enough and foresight enough to see what men would do and therefore he fails in carrying out, or changeableness, that is, he decides sort of in the middle of the game to change his plan. Things are not going as he sees, and so uh, we find God changing. Well, this uh, statement from John Brown's Systematic Theology can open up many theological ideas, both in Scripture as we interpret Scripture and, again, in life as we seek to be sanctified according to the revealed will of God. Uh, thank you again for listening to this uh, particular uh, presentation of the doctrinal component, and I will uh, present another one drawing a source from, uh, drawing a, a phrase to, to examine from one of these sources that we have mentioned. Thank you very much. <laughs>